Welcome everyone to the podcast series on innovative healthcare solutions sponsored by the Conference of Consulting Actuaries. Uh, my name is Ed Kowalski, President of Morningstar Actuarial Consulting, and I'm also the chair of the healthcare community with the CCA, and I'm going to be your host for today's discussion. Now, for those of you who haven't seen these, these podcasts are a series of interviews with actuaries and other professionals focused on delivering innovation in healthcare. Um, these sessions are offered to provide insights about what's transpiring in the ever-changing healthcare environment in which we live. Um, I'm sure you're going to enjoy this session and all the great discussions we've had to date and, and plan to have. Um, we're really highlighting the interesting people, products, and services that are designed to drive a better healthcare system. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Mark Wernicke. Uh, Mark is a fellow of the Society of Actuaries and a member of the American Academy of Actuaries. Mark is uh, also Vice President of Managed Care at Theta Care. Uh, Mark was also one of our presenters at our recent annual meeting in Austin, Texas, um, and he presented at the session entitled, Why Should I Care About Value-Based Care? So, Mark, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here, Ed. Looking forward to uh, the discussion and the questions. Great, great. So, Mark, for the uh, benefit of our audience today um, who may not be familiar with your organization, can you give us some background on, on ThetaCare? Sure. So ThetaCare is actually a, a seven-hospital provider system in Northeast Wisconsin. Uh, I think we have a customer base of about 650,000 potential members or patients in nine counties. Um, $1.2 billion in annual revenue. And... Um, a few fun facts. Uh, we were part of the initial pioneer ACO movement back in 2007, 2008, <clears throat> Trans transferred it into the next gen ACO model, and now we're in uh, MSSP as of 2022. But in uh, 19 and 20, 2019 and 20, while well, we were in next gen, uh, and there were about 50 provider systems across the country in next gen. We were the most efficient ACO in the country, meaning our, our cost per member, if you will, uh, was the lowest in the country. And we were in the top five for quality. So those quality scores are measured as well. So we're doing some stuff right, um, apparently at, at ThetaCare. And then additionally, um, a big chunk of our business is at risk, uh, especially on the Medicare Advantage side. Uh, we have up and downside risk with most of our large payers, so think United and Anthem and Humana, um, a local carrier network health plan as well. Um, so that's the link really to, you know, a provider system in the value-based care arena. Um, one more piece, we actually are a partner in an insurance arrangement also called Robin Health Plan um, with another provider system, Valin Healthcare in the Green Bay area. And so we're in the Appleton Nina area for those keeping track at home. It's called the Fox Valley. Um, and we partner with Bellin uh, and then Health Partners is the insurance company in Minneapolis. And, and we have a three-way basically risk share, top and bottom line, um, selling insurance in all lines of business, commercial, MA, individual um, in our area. Great. So Mark, then, what does a vice president of managed care, who is also an actuary, do at a provider system like ThetaCare? Yeah, good question. Um, so there's the traditional role, which would say, oh, well, the vice president of managed care. And managed care is the, I think, the 20-year-old term that provider systems still use that I think uh, insurance companies don't. Um, and you can think of it as value-based care. But the traditional role is contracting. 
right? So the basic fee-for-service contracting, so think of a typical three-year deal, um, and you're trying to basically negotiate fee-for-service payments, if you will. Um, but that's really, because we're so much at risk, we're also negotiating at the same time MA or Medicare Advantage and commercial shared savings arrangements, trying to emphasize uh, and, re and recognize that things like improving quality scores, um, focusing on HCC risk adjustment factors and improving those and managing utilization. Those are win-wins for both organizations, potentially the, the provider system, us and the payer. So working on those. So my role is to uh, really, I, I think a better title might be, uh, you know, vice president of payer partnerships, right? So all things working with the payers, gosh, let's find, find a way, whether it's fee-for-service contracting or shared savings to do that in a win-win situation. But then I'm wearing the provider systems hat or perspective. Um, and as a rule, the provider systems don't really always know or understand how the payers think. So the fact that I got to spend 30 years working for different payers, a lot of, a lot of time at Humana, helps bring that perspective. And so then we can say, oh, that's why they want to do this. That's why it makes sense to work together in these kinds of partnerships. So um, now the provider system will call it, or the payer system would call it value-based care. We call it managed care. It's, it's, it's pretty much value-based care that we're all working on together. So there's that connection. So the, the contracting then, that's both between, uh, you get involved in both the contracts between, say, the federal government on, on uh, Medicare um, uh, with, with you as, as a, as a uh, entity, as well as uh, the contracts between you and, and your providers. Do I have that right? Yeah, so um, the ThetaCare system has an AC, we call it an ACO, right? The Accountable mm -hmm. Care Organization, which is the CMS definition of bringing the hospital system and a bunch of doctors together. So we have ThetaCare own doctors. Then we also have what we call independent doctors. So some of the cardiologists, some of the um, other specialty practices, maybe the surgeons are part of our ACO. So that's the provider system's view of our network, right? And so that's the, that's the network. And so I'm contracting on behalf of the entire provider system network with United or with Humana or with uh, and, and or frankly with CMS, right? Um, so that we're in their network and we're doing two things, contracting on how to get paid from a fee-for-service perspective, but then also on these shared savings arrangements. And all the, all the programs, by the way, are different. You know, nobody would want to do the same program and make it easy for us. <laughs> so, <laughs> of course. Of yeah. course. I, I just read uh, an article uh, this morning, actually, from Health Affairs that talked about the experience of ACOs uh, generating savings anywhere from one to six percent you're shaking your head so I'm assuming you kind of saw that article too but I'm kind of curious about how you measure the value of your value-based contracts both I guess you know with the entities that you you contract with as well as the providers and then maybe you know both across your you know kind of across your book of business so you know how, how do you go about measuring that value to know um, you know kind of the, that you're actually delivering value in in the healthcare? system. Yeah, so um, a couple things come to mind. Um, what I've learned is the payers, payers and the payer systems seem to have uh, much bigger staffs and a much better handle on all of the analytics that drive the business. And so while we are partnering with a United or a Humana or a, an Anthem to improve quality scores, right, and think here it's, it's HEDIS and STARS, things that are measured right. across the system. Um, or improve risk adjustment factors. 
Um, it's those payers that meet with us once, once a month in clinical meetings or what they call JOC, Joint Operating Committee meetings once a quarter. And they bring all the data. They say, here's all your data. Here's how you are doing. Um, and they compare us across um, all of their other provider systems. So for instance, in the state of Wisconsin or in the region. And so for instance, um, you know, with, with, well, with United, they'll, they'll show us the data and say, you are the top performing quality provider system in our region. And they'll show us the scores. And so, and then we internally track that by saying we would love to be 90th percentile in breast cancer screening and colonoscopies um, and potentially avoidable hospital admissions in readmission rates, et cetera. And so, and so we track that as best we can internally across all of our business, all of our payers. And in a number of those, we are 90th percentile, we believe, or 75th percentile. And those are, that's from HEDIS. And on a national basis, but then the payers again will meet with us specifically for our business, our area, our state, and say, "Here's how you're doing." So that's one way to track it, um, and we track those things. And of course, it's always about, as you know, high levels of, of results or continuous improvement. The second thing we track, and I'm, this is the internal provider system wearing our finance hat, would be how much money are we getting, frankly, from the <laughs> provider systems in terms of share savings, right? How many X millions of dollars, um, and that. That, that falls below the line as we call it other operating income, mm -hmm. uh, but it, it matters. It helps drive the business, frankly. And, you know, you probably are reading how um, the hospital business is um, tough right now, right? Uh, there's, gosh, there's a shortage and a high demand for nurses. Um, the nurses want to, and I would say deserve to be paid more. And so that's rising. We, we are forced to, if you will, outsource more and more stuff because of the shortage of people. And, and so it's tough to it's tough to be in the black this year, but that below the line um, shared savings where we are continuing to help work together to improve quality, improve risk adjustment, manage utilization, that actually matters. So we track it that way as well, if that makes sense. Great, great. What, what role does predictive analytics, if any, kind of play into, um, you know, your, your establishing your measures for, for your value-based contracting? So it comes to mind um, is uh, the, the HCC, um, risk adjustment stuff. So if you have an understanding of how that works, um, say patients come in and present, and what you have to do on the Medicare side, especially, but also on the, uh, where it's more pronounced, but also on the commercial side for individual and small business, each year a patient has to be reassessed by a doctor of their health conditions. So you have to start over each year. Um, and so that it's important. So there's predictive analytics um, if you will, about well, if a patient had these conditions last year, that sounds obvious, they probably have them again this year, but and or they may be taking different drugs and those drugs likely lead to a condition, right? And so we, um, we actually have people and we are trying to, we have an automated process as well with a couple of outsourced vendors and they'll look at our data the week before somebody's up for their annual wellness visit. Um, to say these are the likely conditions that these people have. And so it's called the BPA uh, best practice alert in our EPIC EMR. And a lot of people mm -hmm. use EPIC. And so we've worked closely with EPIC and these, these BPAs to educate the docs. Boom, a patient's going to show up tomorrow. And here's what you should look for. And with some of those BPAs, when the patient is visiting the doctor literally live, and the doctor is coding on, on her screen, this is the conditions that people have. The BPA might pop up and said, um, yeah, they might have this one too. <laughs> so please look at that. So, but that all matters because that accurate coding and diagnosis, the whole condition of how that patient 
you know, all their all of their health conditions, if you will, make sure we are treating them appropriately and broadly, but also means higher um, reimbursement <clears throat> to the payers, and they share that with us through the shared savings arrangement. So that's a big part of predictive analytics, um, probably the biggest one that comes to mind then. Okay, perfect. So, um, you know, ThetaCare, from my understanding, you're very broad-based. You have a lot of services that, that you provide uh, as, as a health system. What areas is it that value-based care works better than others? Are there any areas where value-based care works better than others? Yeah, so in simplifying the world into three components of value-based care, which is probably not realistic, um, right? But if you're a payer, and I'll, I'll, let's go from their perspective, and MA is the biggest, Medicare Advantage is the biggest driver. Mm -hmm. So as a payer, and I'm, I'm, I'm representing that perspective and then thinking, how does it matter from the provider system partner perspective? Starting with the payer, you get paid for having four stars, if you will. That's a quality measure. You get a 5% extra premium done. But 5% premium on a typical $10,000, you know, annual premium for a Medicare patient, adding that across, you know, hundreds of thousands of patients, that, that makes a big deal of difference. So that's why focusing on quality matters. And that's why, um, and as you get a higher quality score, um, if you can get up to five stars, then you can market all year long versus just this October 15th through December 7th window. And by the way, yesterday was the last of those commercials, I hope, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, and so, but so the providers, the payers are willing to share that, share some of those instead of the provider systems as quality matters and, and they get paid for it and they'll share some of that. So that's point number one of value-based value, value -based care. And it's valuable because I always say, does it meet the triple aim? Gosh, higher quality, right, um, is a big part of the triple aim and, and higher patient satisfaction. And both of those are part of quality. Um, the second thing is the risk adjustment. So again, the three components, um, quality, risk adjustment. And once again, if you can accurately and, and appropriately diagnose patients, um, the government will pay you more. It's just that simple. They'll say these people are sicker or have, have greater health conditions. So we think you should get extra premium to manage their care because it's, it's, it's going to be more comprehensive. And so that's why we partner with them on HCCs. The third thing is I, would, I, I call it utilization and trend management. So think of, and, and here it's, it's, it's which is, in, this is an interesting one that is not as easy for a provider system to get its arms around. Because if, if a, if a, payer says, well, a good way to manage utilization is to have less outpatient surgeries. Okay, I get that. Um, but we just built an outpatient surgery center, and we did. That's a tricky conflict, right? So, But are there other ways to manage utilization that might be a win-win? So reducing ER, we think that's a win-win. We would love people to go to the urgent care, and, and so would the payer. Um, finding prescription drugs that maybe have generic alternatives or brands that have more cost-effective options. That's a win-win. Things that, that help the payer and help the provider system that are in the utilization and trend management. Or a third one, um, the payers would call it increasing in-network steerage, right? We would say more, more of our patients come to our ACO instead of going to competitors. So, so we're aligned on that as well, right? So those are the components of value-based care that, again, meet the triple aim, um, our wins for the payer and our wins for us, the provider system, and we can work together. So that's right. where we focus on. Sounds like a great story. So, so Mark, where where do you kind of see 
value-based care progressing? You know, what, what are the efforts to kind of improve on care and improve on, on managing costs, you know, in the next few years or, or maybe even beyond that? Yeah, so there'll be continued focus on quality and risk adjustment stuff. And that'll that'll be, um, I don't know if that, that'll be make leaps and bounds and changes, but it'll continue to be an important priority because the government, if you will, CMS and how they reimburse the payers, just it matters. The, the, the place for, I think, a focus and improvement is the utilization and trend management component and maybe new ideas. So how do we do virtual health, for instance, right? How do we do home health care? So again, thinking of the triple aim, um, I'm a patient. I don't want to be in the hospital, frankly. Now, I, I own a hospital system, right? Um, so I want you in the hospital because I get paid for that. On the other hand, if I can find a way to also be in the home care business, put you where you want to be out of the hospital, but but I'm helping you with your health care from a home care perspective, um, that's more cost efficient. You're happier as a patient. The payer is happier because it's not as expensive, right? So how do we find opportunities like home care, like virtual health? And so you're hearing discussions around that. And I think that's why, because it's those are the win-win-win opportunities. But sometimes they're easier to talk about than actually figure out how to get it done. Right? So. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you for that. Uh, so, Mark, this, this is where I, I, I go off um, a, a little bit from our discussion here. But, you know, if you didn't create a career in healthcare and as an actuary, what would you have done instead? You know, what's kind of your passion what would Mark well, have done if he wasn't an actuary? Well, I don't know that I'm going to answer that directly. I'm going to tell you the story. Um, when I was 15 years old in high school, um, and we had some site, and, they, and the, the folks in the high school said, you know what, you have to figure out your career plans, right? So you're, you're I'm a sophomore, I'm 15 years old. They said, you have to figure out your career plans. And, and so some people would just say, oh, I want to be a fireman or whatever. And I said, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> And they said, well, if you don't know, then you have to go to a class at lunchtime and figure it out, right? Well, I, I like lunch, Ed, right? So, so I went to this class. So this is back in the 70s. So there wasn't, you could look on the web for careers. You would, we had these job almanac books. They were this big in alphabetical order. So I started going through and, and frankly, x-ray is near A, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. the, and, 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 the, and the guidance was, well, I like math. Business sounds interesting. Maybe an actuary is a good career. So when I was 15, I chose that I was going to be an actuary. Um, and I kind of stuck with it. Ed. And, and so then, so that's part of it. Part B is, I actually will get to your answer now, is I think that helped me get through the actuarial exams. I went to an actuarial college, right? So I, it was kind of a fast yeah. track. Gosh, it's good to know it if you're 15. <laughs> um, but then I took some career inventory tests when I was, I don't know, 40 years old, right? About what's what are you good at? What are your preferences? Right. And it said being an actuary, probably not your thing. So that was interesting. <laughs> it said instead, it said you might be good at being a college professor or um, you know, being a broad business executive. And, and that's uh -huh. actually how my career, I mean, I'm not a college professor, but the broad business perspective, right. that's how my right. career advanced. So if that helps answer your question, um yeah, I'm not a I'm not in the weeds technical, I'm more strategy stuff. That, that, that's interesting because uh, I'll, I'll share my story. I, I remember when um, I was in uh, high school and decided that I was going to um, major in mathematics. And I remember one of my friends asked when, when I told him what I was going to major in, his response was, oh, what are you going to be, an actuary? And I said, what's that? You know, right. I, had, <laughs> I had no idea what it was. And then, you know, several years later, I had a professor who was helping people study for exams, the actuarial exams. And 
um, passed my first exam, which was probably what led me down this path. <laughs> you know? So, well, hey, Mark, um, I, I really appreciate time today. I'd like to encourage uh, our viewers who also participate in our, our healthcare community uh, to continue any discussions about the insights shared here on that platform. And if you're not a member of the CCA and you want to consider joining to not only experience the benefits of the community platform that I just mentioned uh, from the CCA uh, in those informal discussions, but all the other great benefits of our uh, our members and joys, please go, you know, you'll, you'll find a way to do that on our website. So Mark, thanks for being here today and sharing your insights and experience about what Theta Care is doing to drive kind of innovation in healthcare. Uh, I know I really enjoyed the discussion and I'm, I'm sure our audience benefited from it um, as well. My pleasure. Good talking, Ed. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Mark. Take care.